0: Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and if you're a regular listener, you may have noticed that we've been off for a few weeks, and that's with good reason. Normally, our podcast covers what's been happening during the previous week in Oklahoma politics, but this year, we wanted to take the time to dive a little deeper into three key issues that we believe are incredibly important to the future of Oklahoma, both from a political interest standpoint and also from a public policy standpoint. We've created three mini series, each consisting of several episodes about a particular topic. The first series is about criminal justice reform. Then we're going to move into gerrymandering and the legislative redistricting process. And then we're going to end with healthcare. So, beginning now and continuing through September, we'll be releasing a new episode each week connected to the series. Criminal justice is always an important hot-button issue in our state. and In fact, as you'll hear in this episode, Oklahoma incarcerates more people per capita than anywhere else in the entire world. During this series, we talk with subject matter experts, policy analysts, a criminal justice attorney, a state legislator, to find out how we got here, what our criminal justice system looks like, and how we can make it better. A good part of our discussion centers around two key ballot initiatives, State Question 780 that passed in 2016 and then State Question 788 that passed in 2018. Now, these measures were enacted into law not by the legislature, but by the people of Oklahoma, which I think illustrates that voters understand that these are important and that they want to see this issue in particular improve. All right. So this week we are joined by Damien Shade and Ryan Gensler, both from uh, the Oklahoma Policy Institute. Damien is the criminal justice policy analyst and Ryan is the director of Open Justice Oklahoma. Uh, In my opinion, these are two of the folks in our state who are arguably the most knowledgeable about criminal justice uh, as an issue. Um, The system in Oklahoma the numbers, some of the ins and outs of it, and that's really what we're going to talk about today. Uh, So Damien and Ryan, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thank you.
0: So Ryan, I'm going to start with you. As Director of Open Justice Oklahoma, tell us a little bit about what the Open Justice Oklahoma program is.
2: Uh, Yeah, Open Justice Oklahoma came about, uh, we started last year, um, and it built on work that I uh, had done in the previous uh, year and a half as the criminal justice policy analyst uh, here at okay policy. Um, so what we do in a nutshell is we use public data, public records uh, to illuminate what's going on in our justice system. Uh, so uh, in Oklahoma, we don't do a lot of uh, things great um, as uh, everyone is pretty much aware. Uh, but one of the things that we do uh, have a, uh, as a resource that many other states don't, is a very open court uh, court record system. So um, if you go to OSCN.net, you can see um, basically day by day everything that's going on in our courts. Um, and so the idea of uh, behind Open Justice Oklahoma is to take all that information, all that data, um, and make sense of it. So uh, the first example uh, of that is uh, our first project was looking at what happened to criminal case filings after the implementation of State Question 780, which was the big uh, justice reform uh, that went into effect in July 2017, um, reclassified simple drug possession and uh, many uh, low-level property crimes as misdemeanors rather than felonies. Uh, We found that that single change uh, uh, caused uh, felonies, Uh, to drop by about 28% um, in the first year, about 14,000 fewer felonies. Um, So, uh, you know, from that, we we think that justice reform is working. Uh, But really, uh, the idea behind Open Justice Oklahoma is to take um, all this information that is out there, that isn't being used, um, and to uh, use it to uh, better understand what's going on in our justice system, and then to be able to... Uh, propose reforms uh, and to measure progress of those reforms
0: excellent so really it's it's about opening the information um, about our criminal justice system and, and helping uh, illustrate uh, or explain what's what's going on in our state then
2: yeah exactly uh, the all of the justice data that we get from official sources um, is it's almost always uh, incomplete uh, it's always got a lot of caveats um, and it always is uh, you know about a year and a half delayed um, by the time we get it so it's very difficult to um, you know if we have a uh, if we have a you know the uh, state question 780 going into effect in 2017 um, we don't really uh, have good data on uh, from the state on what case filings look like all we get is prison numbers. Um, prison numbers haven't gone down our prison population hasn't really gone down um, but that really uh, uh, isn't the the best indicator of whether state question 780 is working um, and so that's uh, that's what we're trying to do is open up the black box of uh, of our justice system and to use the the public data sources that we have to to better understand what's going on
0: right um, so I'm gonna go you gave a statistic about the the percentage decrease or the number decrease in uh, in felony convictions in Oklahoma. Tell me that number again.
2: Uh, it's felony case filings, so not uh, not, not necessarily convictions, um, but they dropped from about uh, about 50,000 to about 36,000 uh, in the first year. So about 28,
0: 29%. Oh, so that's a huge, I mean, that's a, a very significant decrease in number of filings. And, and as you mentioned uh, in the description of State Question 780 that that made a change to what crimes are classified as misdemeanors or felonies, correct?
2: Right. So uh, simple drug possession uh, for any substance is now uh, a misdemeanor uh, rather than a felony. Uh, before it was basically up to the prosecutor to decide. Um, it was uh, what they call a wobbler, so it could be charged as a misdemeanor or a felony. Um, but what we what we saw was that uh, you know the, the vast majority of the time it would be uh, filed as a, as a felony. Um, first possession, first time uh, possession of marijuana uh, was previously uh, the only misdemeanor um, drug possession offense uh, in Oklahoma. So, and then along with that, the uh, there were uh, there was the change to the felony uh, theft threshold uh, went from uh, five hundred to a thousand dollars. So now Um, you know, instead of, uh, if you, if someone stole merchandise worth, uh, you know, $750, uh, that would now be a misdemeanor rather than a
0: felony. Right. So if you still, if you stole a smartphone or something, then it would be previously would be a felony and now it'd be a, yeah. Damien to shift over to you, can you give us like, I mean, just a, a, I know you swim in the numbers all the time, but, uh, in general terms, like what is the state of incarceration in our in our state? What are the you know most common crimes and reasons for incarceration? some of those numbers?
1: Well, as most people know now, Oklahoma surpassed Louisiana as the quote prison capital of the world, uh, the place with the highest per capita incarceration rate in the United States and and thus in the world um, in 2016. So what we've seen over the course of the past two decades, really, um, in the state of Oklahoma is a shift nationally towards a um, national situation where, uh, where multiple states were making significant reforms um, to their statutes uh, and to their justice policy. And Oklahoma was one of those places that took longer. Um, than much of the rest of the U.S. So since 2000, 35 states have reduced uh, criminal penalties for property crimes. And at the same time, those 35 states have seen significant reductions in the amount of those property crimes. So they actually reduced the penalty um, and their public safety outcomes got better. Um, Oklahoma is one of those rare states where our public safety outcomes have gotten better and better over the course of the nat- last decade. Um, we've seen lower property crimes. We've seen lower um, crime rates in a number of significant areas. Um, but we have continued to increase the rate of our incarceration. Um, so this has left us with a system that is underfunded overcrowded, um, overcapacity as much as 113% by Department of Corrections estimates earlier this year. Um, And that, that combination of twin policy failures of a court system that's taking in too many people um, and imposing too many punitive fines and fees on them to escape uh, what our governor calls a death spiral of poverty and reincarceration um, and a prison system and a jail system that are overworked so you see these nightmarish stories um, that you know local journalists have done like the frontier um, about terrible conditions in our in our county jails um, and facilities and you also see in Department of Corrections reports, and in their budget request, um, a likewise situation with too much violence um, in our prison, um, over capacity places um, where where drugs and crime, as our former uh, corrections, um, as our as the former head of the Department of Corrections, Joe Alba likes to say, like to say, it's only by the grace of God um, that. Any of our corrections officers are able to make it home safely um, because the criminal organizations are at such capacity in our prisons that they've created conditions that are fundamentally unsafe for our guards, um, fundamentally unsafe for the law enforcement people who interact with the the populations and fundamentally unsafe and Counterproductive to the rehabilitation goals of the population of people in our in Oklahoma State prisons. So these two these two factors, um, the negative policy choices in our court system that Ryan described so um, articulately, and the lack of funding and adequate reentries and probation and p- parole support for individuals inside the prison system have created a unique crisis in the state of Oklahoma.
0: Damien, a minute ago you mentioned that in Oklahoma our our rates are like rates of crime have actually decreased over the last decade. However, the the rate of incarceration has continued to go up. Do you have any idea or is there any data that uh, discusses why the why the rates have decreased over the last year or 10 years?
1: So it's hard to make um, a sort of a criminogenic finding like that um, with absolute certainty um, about the factors but there are lots of things um, that crimin- criminologists talk about, not just in the United States but nationally. Um, the fact that as you guys were talking about, smartphones exist um, and people digitally bank has fundamentally changed the nature of petty crime. Um, So there are fewer people passing fraudulent checks. There are fewer people committing muggings and trying to get cash from people um, at points of business or at ATMs um, committing those sorts of crimes. Um, Because the technological and economic environment of 2019 is just fundamentally different than the technological and economic environment of the late 90s. Um, so just simple technological changes like that have necessitated changes to our public policy approach in Oklahoma that you see with things like state question 780 and the lowering of, uh, or in the raising of our felony theft threshold. Those types of public policy changes came here much lo- much later um, than they came to many other states in the United States, um, though we've seen other we've seen other states try to replicate um, models that we've done here successfully. States like Texas, um, states like Louisiana, um, many of these states invested in and began making more 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 robust changes to their justice system, their court system, and their incarceration system years before the United States or before uh, Oklahoma did. Um, in Oklahoma, we really did not begin robustly dealing with these problems um, through our legislature until around 2015 2016 that's when you begin to see real changes in our public policy so because of that we haven't been able to reap the same benefits that louisiana and texas um, saving their states billions and billions of dollars of defrayed um, incarceration costs and being able to reinvest many of those dollars into mental health and substance abu- abuse treatment for those struggling with addiction
0: interesting on the the second part of that, you said that our rates of incarceration have have increased. What's the what's the rationale or the reasoning for that?
1: I mean, the the easiest thing uh, to point to in Oklahoma is the disparity in sentencing. So for almost every tier of crime, Oklahomans are sentenced for longer um, and kept in prison for with, without the opportunity for parole or early release um, than most other states in the United States. As I said, our incarceration rate is about 60% above the national average um, incarceration rate. I think it's something like 15,000 um, Oklahomans that we would have to release Um, To be able to get closer to that national average of like a state like Kansas, for example, that's fairly close to the national average incarceration rate. So when we keep people in for longer um, and our parole rate has been as abysmal as it's been up until very recently, um, our parole releases declined about 70, um, about 77 percent in the decade before 2017. So, We've seen a steady buildup of people coming into the system, but the forces that are designed in public policy choices to mitigate that incarceration, to make it more likely for people to go back to their families and get a good job and um, reintegrate to the community, all of those resources have been lacking from our system. Um, And it's only a recent movement, recent moves and changes like administrative parole, um, which went into effect and has already begun to change some of these negative parole outcomes Um, in August. The next administrative parole docket, which uh, to explain what that is, administrative parole is simply. A streamlined parole process where they have what's called a general consensus docket um, where you have a list of names. These are people who are considered substantially compliant um, with their with their case plans while they've been in prison. So they don't have misconducts. There are no victim um, or district attorney objections to them being released. They're all put on one large consensus docket at the parole board and through an up and down, up or down vote, the parole board uh, allows them to have release. So that process has already begun to show real dividends in turning around the negative state of Oklahoma's parole. um, We need to continue that action next month. um, There will be a larger amount of them just due to the way some kind of arcane and getting a little into the weeds, um, bits of the way the statute was written. Um, Next month, we'll have a larger amount of administrative parolees closer to 300 um, than the average that's been around 80 or 100 um, on those dockets as we've seen before. Um, but in order to double down on those investments, Oklahoma will have to um, invest more in rehabilitation, um, create better, more robust um, based on best practices, drug courts um, and other diversion services. And we will have to do much more work towards creating a system of what I like to call rehabilitative care for the people inside of the incarceration and court system in our state. So all of those pieces, and including the other big piece that the legislature um, didn't move on last year, but we're hoping they will move on next year, and that's bail reform, Um, being able to reform the system of bail and pretrial incarceration that leaves too many Oklahomans um, trapped in Our local county jails for no other reason than they are too poor to buy their freedom from a bail bondsman.
0: I found an article, Ryan, that you wrote on the OK Policy blog uh, last summer in uh, June of 2018. It was updated May of of this year. And the title is Accepting Our Highest in the World Incarceration Rate Means Believing That Oklahomans Are the Worst People, Um, which is a uh, wonderful, terrible headline. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I wanted to uh, just highlight a couple of numbers because that's the thing that grabbed me. And honestly, I, I found this because I had Googled uh, like number of Oklahomans currently incarcerated. And as is often the case, OK Policy was the first hit on Google for this kind of information because you guys are just a treasure trove of data. Uh, so for our listeners, for every 100,000 People in our state, uh, there are just over a thousand of them that are uh, incarcerated, and that is by far the highest. Right, so that that beats the national average by a significant margin. In the U.S. nationwide, it's only six hundred and ninety-eight per one hundred thousand. But then on your graph, uh, you have it going down through a number of other. Um, countries in fact it's the the founding nations that were in uh that are members of NATO um and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and so it's like the UK, Portugal, Canada, Italy, France, Belgium, Norway, Netherlands, Denmark, Iceland, like Luxembourg, other countries th- that I think we all know, right? These are like normal first world countries. Uh and so I mean Iceland is only 38 per 100,000. Denmark who's uh arguably one of my favorite countries besides the U.S., (laughs) 59, even Canada, our neighbors right next door, only 114. And so again, Canada, 114, the U.S., 698, Oklahoma, 1,079. And if you look at just adults, it's 1,300. So basically more than 1% of all adults in Oklahoma are in jail or prison at any given time right so that's bananas and so the way that you phrased it ryan you said with incarceration rates this common it seems that just about every Oklahoman should have several family members friends or acquaintances in jail or prison but we know that the burden of the justice system falls much more heavily on low-income communities and communities of color it's certainly true, and I encourage folks to um, go read this article. We will link to it in our blog post um, about about these uh, that corresponds with, with this podcast series. But that's absolutely flabbergasting to me that that more than 1% of our state is in jail or prison at any given time. You know, it's it's funny how certain numbers hit you in different ways. And Ryan, can you speak a little bit more about what it was like for you researching this, and, and any other takeaways that that maybe aren't included in this article?
2: Yeah, I think the uh, things that I uh, that kind of spurred that that article. Actually, this happened after the the article, so it didn't spur the article. Um, but I think uh, something that's very uh, demonstrative of the point that um, you know many of us, uh, especially in, by us, I mean, uh, white, uh, middle-class or upper-class, uh, you know, well, relatively well-to-do Oklahomans. Um, we don't, uh, even though we do have the very highest incarceration rate in the world, um, it's, it's pretty easy for, for many of us to ignore it because we don't see it around us. Um, if you look at, uh, the so so the, the story that, that I was going to tell um, was that at Summer Policy Institute last year, um, I did a, a, it's a, a gathering of about sixty uh, college students from around the state um, who uh, come in, and spend four days uh, with us, the staff of, of OK Policy, and learn about uh, these different uh, uh, policy issues, all the policy issues uh, that we cover, uh, budget and tax, healthcare. Um, education and, and so forth. Um, so I did, uh, an overview presentation of our, our criminal justice system. Um, and I asked, uh, the, all of the students to think about how many Facebook friends they have. Um, I, I think I have a few hundred, um, you know, maybe five, 600. Um, so if I had uh, 1% of my, uh, of my acquaintances in, in prison or jail, uh, that would be about five or six, uh, people. I don't know that many people who are in prison or jail. Uh, so I just asked, uh, you know, the, the students, um, so think about how many, uh, how many Facebook friends you have, um, and raise your hand if 1% of them or more, uh, if at least one percent of your Facebook friends are uh, incarcerated at the moment, um, and uh, a lot of hands went up. Actually, it was uh, it was probably 20, 20 hands. Um, a lot of I mean a lot of people. Uh, those hands all belong to people of color. Um, it was uh, and, and with maybe one or two exceptions. Uh, but I, but I think it was, I mean, it was, it was shocking really to see it in, uh, you know, in, in real life. Uh, it's really difficult for us uh, as humans, really, uh, to think about uh, numbers in terms of uh, rates per 100,000 people. It doesn't really uh, mean anything to us. Uh, 1% just doesn't sound like a lot. Um, but if you look at, you uh, you know, the different, if you break down our incarceration rate by racial groups, uh, the picture is very, very different. Um, if you look at uh, um, numbers, are, these numbers are uh, a little bit old now, um, but the prison policy initiative does uh, breakdowns of incarceration by uh, race and ethnicity. Our rate of incarceration for white Oklahomans is about 767 per 100,000. So that's actually, so that's uh, just above what the national average is for, for all races. Um, if you look at uh, Hispanic Oklahomans, um, you're looking at uh, about two and a half times higher. So 1,800 out of 100, every 100,000. For Native Americans, it's about 1,000 uh, per 100,000. For Black Oklahomans, it's about 3,800 per hundred thousand, so about 3.8 percent of the Black population of Oklahoma is incarcerated at a given time. Um, so when we when we think about uh, you know who this affects and who this is and you know where the effects are of of our punitive criminal justice system. Um, you know, most of our legislators, uh, except for the ones who are from, you know, predominantly black areas, uh, you know, there's a very good chance that they're not going to see it around them. It's not going to be a personal issue for them. Um, and I think that's one of the, the big uh, sticking points, one of the big obstacles that we have to overcome is, is convincing uh, regular Oklahomans that, that this is a, an important issue, not just from a budgetary perspective. Um, but from a human perspective, it's it's uh, absolutely devastating. Um, but many of us, but but the uh, the effects are just so concentrated that it's difficult to uh, to communicate that to to you know many white Oklahomans.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, when I um, when I started my career, I was in mental health. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I was working in community mental health with in a day program for folks with uh, chronic and severe mental health issues, things like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and the like. And it occurred to me one day, I was looking around our program and we had usually about 75 or 80 people there each day. And knowing that some of these mental health conditions uh, affect like a relatively stable number of the population. um, And I realized that, that we had a very small number of minorities that were there in our day program and I started asking some of the older folks who had been around for a while and they said, no, no, all the, all the blacks are in jail. Like they don't (laughs) get to come. Something has happened that they got arrested rather than finding access to, to the medical care they needed. And that was, you know, I was like 22 at the time. And that was one of the the times that it really hit home for me of like two people with the same mental health condition, uh, having the same situation, like the same time of need, you know, on a street corner or something one day and the police arrive in both cases. And in the case of a, of a white person, they might've gone to the hospital. In the case of the black person, they went to jail. Uh, And it was, it was just so stark um, that it really opened my eyes to some of those, uh, the differences that we, we see in the world. Well, um, Ryan and Damien, I, I deeply appreciate your time uh, and your information for this. This is, it's kind of laid down a really firm, I think platform or foundation for us to begin this discussion. And in this small series about criminal justice reform, I know a number of our listeners have been paying close attention to this. And, and I think uh, all eyes will be on the state legislature in 2020 as they revisit this issue. And and I think um, I know I personally uh, share your, hope um, that they revisit this issue and and make some uh, more necessary changes.
2: Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah. uh, Yeah. We look forward to uh, to listening to ourselves and and to everybody else. and what, uh, what the rest of the series says.
0: Many thanks to Damien and Ryan for their time on this episode. In the next episode, we will sit down with attorney Brian Jones to talk about what someone has to go through when they are arrested and charged with a crime, such as simple possession. We will talk through jail time, through bail, through fines and fees, and try to get a very real sense of what the economic impact and the personal impact might be for an individual in the short run and the long run for even simple crimes. And kind of explain why it is that so many Oklahomans are beholden to the criminal justice system in some way see you next week